Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. It's Friday. The Lakers look good on paper. LeBron is freshly extended. Anthony Davis with a five-year max deal to remain with the Lakers. And on the Hoopball Lakers show, we have a very special guest. Trevor Lane of Lakers Nation is joining us. Trevor, how's it going, man? Doing well, doing well. Thanks so much for having me back on the show. Ready to talk some Lakers basketball. What was the more surprising occurrence for you was it the lebron extension or was it anthony davis giving the full five years to those lakers oh 100 it was the lebron lebron no question you know anthony davis we knew he was going to take some number of years whether i always think it was going to be two or three but we knew he was going to get some kind of a deal i was pleasantly surprised with five i think that's an amazing amazing move for the lakers because they get him now locked up for the his prime years but the LeBron thing came from out of nowhere. Nobody was talking about a LeBron deal. We were all talking about Anthony Davis. He's going to resign. Nobody was talking about LeBron signing an extension, essentially committing what could be the remainder of his basketball years to the purple and gold. So that was a big one. That was one where when I first heard about it, I went, oh, my, and, and had to rush and go uh, record something on it because that came out of the blue. And it was one of those kind of fun NBA news stories that just that just hits you and it takes you a second to kind of process what it all means, and then you got to start breaking it all down. Absolutely. JC, same question. Bigger surprise, LeBron or AD? Yeah, I think LeBron was a surprise, too. The The number of years for Anthony Davis was a surprise, but I, I think in retrospect, when you look at LeBron's deal, uh, Anthony Davis signing for five years kind of makes a little bit of sense. They both kind of plan to leave... Uh, you know, create a, help create a good legacy with the Lakers for the long haul instead of it just being you know, sort of short-term and short-term turnaround contracts, which is kind of what I thought Anthony Davis was going to do because of the pandemic and salary caps might increase over the next uh, couple of years. I wasn't expecting the full five years, but um, yeah, clearly they have a plan to stay in Los Angeles and not just to get the money for themselves, but to allow the team to also plan around them for the next, for the next few years. We continue to enjoy and enjoy a very surprising pleasantly surprising offseason for the Los Angeles Lakers. I feel sort of almost weird or surreal calling it an offseason because it feels like the Lakers just hoisted the trophy and here we go. First practices this weekend, training camp right around the corner, season's about to start. The Lakers roster still isn't full. As always on the Hoopball Lakers show, you are here with your main man, Ethan Noroff and JC DeLeon 1. As mentioned, we are stoked to have Trevor Lane with us today. I look at this Lakers roster, guys, and I see 13 names on the roster for everything from Alfonso McKinney all the way up to LeBron and AD. We have two open roster spots, not including Costas on that two-way deal. How are the Lakers going to fill out this roster? Do we think they're going to keep those two roster spots open? I know that they were probably hoping for a chance at Nicholas Batum. He has since signed with the Clippers. It feels like the Lakers could probably use another wing. So, JC, Trevor, I'll ask you guys the same question. Trevor, we'll start with you. 
if the Lakers are going to make another addition to this roster, where do you see it fit? Or do you see them keeping this roster a little bit more flexible than we anticipated? Um, you know, I think having a little bit of flexibility heading into training camp is a good thing. So you kind of have that carrot for the guys that you're bringing into camp to say, hey, look, we actually have a roster spot you could play your way onto. But um, functionally, yeah, they, they only have one spot right now. They do they do technically have two. You can get to fit. You can have 15 players on your roster, but because they're hard capped, they only have enough room under that hard cap salary wise to give out one veteran minimum contract later on in the season when the veteran minimum becomes prorated for the remainder of, of the season, um, they'll have an opportunity to add that 15th roster spot. And maybe that's just a spot they hang on to for the buyout market. But functionally for right now, they can only go up to 14 players uh, before hitting that hard cap. So I, when I look at this roster, I think you need a few things. I think that you can make an argument that they need another ball handling guard, right? I mean, right now you really only have Dennis Schroeder is your only pure point guard on the roster. And I know LeBron's going to handle the ball quite a bit. You can make the argument that they need another three and D wing. Um, although a lot of NBA teams are, are searching for that. That's a, a position that's in very high demand in the NBA. And then you can also say they need another rim protecting big. Uh, right now, the only real shot blocking presence they have at the rim is Anthony Davis. And that's a massive departure from last season when they had Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee in there, both huge shot blocking threats. The Lakers led the league in block shots last season. So that, I think that's where I would focus my attention, honestly, is on the on the big, trying to find that skill set, trying to find somebody that can come in and protect the rim. Because yes, Montrez Harrell will get some minutes there. Marcus Gasol, of course, will get plenty of minutes there. And then you can play Anthony Davis at the five. But I'd like to see one more big body in there, if for no other reason than just to give you that skill set of a shot blocker and to potentially absorb some of that burden so that Anthony Davis doesn't have to play a five, the five a lot during the uh, during the regular season. JC, do you agree with Trevor, or do you have a new take for us? No, I agree with him about the the needing one more shot blocking big because that's really the thing they lost the, the most with this, with all these moves. They've they've gained even more flexibility and versatility than what they had from last season. Uh, but yeah, they were such a great shot blocking and rim protecting team. They've lost that. Um, but yeah, I mean they could go one of two ways. I also agree with him in that they need another ball handling point guard. Um, across the way though there's there's not many names left i think an interesting name that could be left um i mean we've talked about like shabazz napier um but and i think with this one that i'm about to mention you sacrifice a lot of defense but there's clearly a good history of offense and in, in, in clutch performance and, and intensity but I, isaiah thomas is available he's been a laker before he could, he's a ball handling guard. He's probably not going to play a lot of minutes, so you're not depending on a lot of defense from him. But I think that's an interesting name that's out there. Well, one thing's for sure. I don't think J.R. Smith is going to be back with this Lakers team, despite the league not deciding that they're not going to test for recreational marijuana use. So, J.R., toke up whether you're a Laker or not. We all know you're in the Matt Barnes, Steven Jackson Hall of Fame, up in smoke category. <laughs> I'm inclined to agree with both of you guys. And, and Trevor, I think you kind of – hit the nail on the head with an interesting point, which is that the general take of this offseason has been, look, the Lakers won the title, and somehow they were able to get younger and better and more talented at the key positions. They got deeper on the bench. They've got the sixth man of the year. They've got the runner-up to the sixth man of the year. Yet somehow this team has sort of created a departure from its identity that served it well last year. And that's one thing that I'm wondering is sort of that 
not departure totally from defense, but the Lakers were at their best when they were that defensive-oriented, really tough mindset type of team, rim-protecting, fierce on the perimeter. And while I like the additions of guys like Trez and Schroeder and bringing Markeith Morris back, I thought was essential, and KCP I can't say enough about, is there at all a concern that, yes, this Lakers team looks like it's more dynamic offensively, but defensively, are they going to be able to cling to or maintain that same level of identity? Yeah, I think for sure. I think that there's going to be, you know, and I said this last season too, so take this with a grain of salt because I'm going to say that they need, they're going to need some time to develop. There's going to be some growing pains. And I said that last season and then they proved me completely wrong and they came out of the gate firing. They lost the opening game to the Clippers and then they just took off from there um, and proved that they didn't need that much time to develop chemistry. But um, this team is so different compared to last season. Like you mentioned, you look at, you look at the way it's, it's constructed. Championship teams don't normally do this. You don't see this kind of turnover on a championship squad. Usually the mantra is, hey, let's just let's just run it back. And that's not what they're doing. They've brought in all new pieces that play a very different style. So let's say Dennis Schroeder gets his way and he's starting at the point guard for the Lakers. Well, now you've got a ball handling guard in the starting lineup. And that's a departure from last season. And what is he going to be defensively compared to, say, a Danny Green or a Contavious Caldwell-Pope who were in those starting guard spots last season? And then you're talking about Marc Gasol, not a huge shot-blocking threat, but still a very good defender, very different in the way he plays on both ends of the floor compared to JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. So I think there's going to be uh, some speed bumps. I think there's going to be a, a little bit of learning that needs to take place here where the, the new players need to kind of get used to the team and the system. And Frank Vogel is going to have to make some tweaks in order to properly utilize the skill sets of the new players that they've brought in. But yeah, I think that uh, to to finish up a long-winded response here, I think that they there could be some early defensive concerns, but ultimately everybody on the team is so smart these guys are, are incredibly intelligent basketball players that ultimately they're going to be able to work it out. But I'm expecting some struggles early. I think that's a fair take. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, there are so many new pieces sort of to integrate on such a short period of time. And I'm kind of wondering about what level of maybe not effort, but what level of emphasis guys like LeBron James and Anthony Davis will play with to begin the season because they have such had you know, that really short period of time to sort of rest, recover, rejuvenate, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, I just feel like, you know, the Lakers are going to have that target on their back, right? Especially after winning the title, every team's going to want to give them their best that that inaugural game. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, 10 to 15 games into the regular season, the Lakers are looking at a regular season record that isn't exactly reflective of their ultimate ability. I do expect some of those younger teams who maybe have not uh, been tested but play hard and they've been together for a period of time to sort of outperform expectations initially and then as the season progresses I think we'll see sort of that you know regression to the mean so to speak and for me I just wonder about the Lakers in terms of how they're going to piece together those rotational minutes because you do want to still have a guy like AD play at least 8 to 12 minutes at the center spot you brought in Trez who you think is going to play probably anywhere between 20 and 25 minutes on a nightly basis I'm curious about Marcus Gasol I think he's a lot I think he He's still got a lot more to offer than what so many saw during his uh, last period of time with the Raptors there. I think part of that was how he was used in Toronto's rotation. I told JC this on our last show, and I'm curious on your opinion, Trevor. My hot take was that Marcus Gasol is the second best passer on the Lakers. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, I think that's accurate. I, I agree with that 100%. I also think that you also you touched upon something here. 
Um, there's a recency bias that we're seeing in the NBA right now. And so that's why you see people downplaying Montrez Harrell, downplaying Marcus All, because they didn't play very well in the bubble. And that's that's completely ignoring the incredible season that they had before things shut down. That's why Montrez Harrell is the, the sixth man of the year. The Toronto Raptors gave up seven points per 100 possessions more on the defensive end of the floor when Marcus All was out. He was the he had the lowest defensive rating on the entire team. So people say this this guy is just some stationary big, right? They can't do anything to help your team, and I think that's completely incorrect. Um, these are guys that will absolutely help out, and like you said, Marcus All's passing is going to be a factor. It's an element that they didn't have in their game last season. They didn't have that passer out of the high post. Anthony Davis could do it a little bit. They had anticipated having that player with Boogie Cousins, but of course he was injured. So now I feel like Marcus Gasol is kind of giving the Lakers an opportunity to run an offense that they ideally thought they were going to have last season because they could run through to Marcus Cousins. Now they, they've got that sort of versatility from the center position just in the form of Marcus Gasol. One of the things that really strikes me as a Lakers fan and as somebody who believes in this mentality, whether it's basketball or not, and JC, I'll, I'll take your opinion on this one, is that the, the importance of setting a culture, it really leads and sets the tone. And I think what the Lakers have historically been able to do really well is take care of their stars. Now, as they've struggled, you know, in the in the post-Kobe era prior to the that was a struggle, right? You saw them give Kobe that massive extension. Of course, it didn't work out from a basketball standpoint, but it's a culture-setting piece, and that's the same thing they did with LeBron James. Of course, LeBron has to agree to that. And whether or not Anthony Davis says it publicly, I do think that it mattered that LeBron James got that extension. I think that's a huge, important piece. And there are other players around the league who take notice. I don't think Markeith Morris is re-signing with any other team on a minimum deal, especially after watching Marcus sign for $64 million if they don't buy into the culture. And so for me, this is a huge part of sort of the Lakers restoration, which I know sounds weird to say because you're going to have some fans in Charlotte saying, what do you mean restoration? You guys have always been on top. We're out here battling for an eight seed for Christ's sake. Okay? But at the same time, the Lakers were in the dumps for a period of time. And, and you know, I have a piece of art hanging on my wall, and it's the young Lakers. It's Clarkson and Russell and Randall and Ingram all walking across Abbey Road in, uh, you know, like, like they're the Beatles. And I look up at that and I say, man, that feels like a really long time ago. But it wasn't that long ago. I know 2020 has felt like it's been 20 years by itself, but it wasn't that long ago. And now the Lakers have this culture of stars once again. I mean, we were out here at one point throwing a max deal at LaMarcus Aldridge saying, please take it. God, we need somebody. Now it's, a, it's an embarrassment of riches so, JC, as this team moves forward, do you think the Lakers are going to continue to sort of try to uh, enter into that star mix, that star chase? Or do you think they're pretty set with this identity of AD and LeBron moving forward and whatever the parts are we can fill around it, that's what we're going to be out here to do? No, I think LeBron uh, has kind of learned from <clears throat> from his past in that he's places he's left before, he's, he's left kind of a, a little bit of a mess in his wake. It's one of the few things you can kind of criticize him on in in his career and the first time he left cleveland it was a mess he left miami kind of empty in the, in the cupboard um with this i think he's setting up this franchise to to grow well beyond him because ad will still be there once he retires i think the lakers will be in a position to like the elephant in the room people think Giannis is coming whether he is or he isn't i think down the road aside from Giannis, you've got players like trey young who might be available who seems to really like the lakers uh, Luca's going to be a big piece that I'm sure the Lakers going to go after once uh, once his free agent time comes if if, the, if Dallas can't can't sign him up. 
Um, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of players who uh, look up to this franchise, who look up to a guy like LeBron, who looked up to a guy like Kobe, like I know Trey Young and, and Luka did. Um, yeah, I think LeBron uh, sort of is helping establish that legacy well beyond him and, and while AD's still in his prime. Trevor, as the man with 36,500 followers on Twitter, the senior writer at Lakers Nation, the god of the Lakers pod zone, if I can give you that nickname, I am going to put you on the spot for one second and simply ask you, what was your most surprising and or enjoyable signing or acquisition, and it could include a re-signing of the Lakers offseason? So surprising and enjoyable could be the same. Surprising and enjoyable could be two different players. Um, you know, I look at all the different acquisitions and I'm, I'm excited about all of them. I thought Dennis Schroeder was a great get. I mean, that's a, a young player, uh, 27 years old. That's obviously a great signing for them. Montrez Harrell was, was a shock as well, but, but I'm going to say LeBron, I'm going to say the, the LeBron extension. That was also, uh, enjoyable too, because to me, and, and I could go for hours on just the other signings, but the LeBron thing, it just, it's a commitment. It's a commitment for one of the greatest, potentially a guy when he hangs it up might have an argument to be the greatest of all time saying, this is where I want to be long-term. And you look at what he did with the Cavs, the one plus one deals for so many years to make sure he could hold their feet to the fire and make sure they did what he wanted them to do. Otherwise he could, he could leave. LeBron said, no, as soon as he came to the Lakers, he said, I trust you. I trust that you're going to do what you need to do. I trust in Rob Palenka. I trust in Rich Paul, my agent, the partnership that we're creating here. I trust in what we're building. And so LeBron to re-up, knowing that his days are limited. And who knows? He, he might actually be a cyborg at this point. We don't know. <laughs> like You're not supposed to perform this well when you're 35 years old. But, uh, but LeBron James, at some point, whether it's when he's 38, when he's 40, whatever, he's going to hang them up. But he has committed a large chunk of whatever basketball he has left in him to the Los Angeles Lakers. And I think that is such a such an incredible gesture on his part, for one thing. And sure, there's some financial motiv motivation there as well. But let's face it, LeBron doesn't have to worry about money ever. Um, so this is an incredible sign for the Lakers, an incredible moment to show how far they've come, like we were just talking about, from the days of D'Angelo Russell and Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance Jr. and all these players who I still love. But my goodness, this feels like the Lakers again. This is a very Lakers team. The star in the NBA wants to lock up his time with the Lakers. And I just, I love that. A credit to the Lakers scouting department because all those young guys have gone on to get paid. Jordan Clarkson, a second round pick, has now signed two different $50 million contracts. So a huge credit to him and the Lakers scouts. But as you said, this feels a lot more like the Lakers. And as soon as LeBron's extension hit, I came across with, you know, what I consider not so hot take. I'll call it a tepid take. I know LeBron's time in purple and gold has been short so far, but JC and Trevor, I mean, I said I said this on Twitter. I said, you know, I don't say this lightly either. LeBron has become one of the greatest ambassadors in Lakers history. And for a franchise with such a lineage of stars, with such a storied history, and given the short window of time LeBron has been operating within, I don't think that's a very light statement. But it's, it's the truth because he opened the door for Anthony Davis. He opened the door for the Lakers to sort of reclaim themselves what we all expected them to be. And now you have this roster, you have a scenario where the Lakers are coming off a title viewed as the heavy favorites to repeat, at least on paper, right? We all know how that size goes. But at the same time, I just sit here and, and, I, and I look and I say, wow, LeBron has not created this commitment to the Lakers, but in turn now Anthony Davis has done the same 
what a commitment to this franchise. Um, that's a, to say, hey, we're here to support you guys, and you guys are here to support us. And it feels like the truest partnership in the sense of the word. So I think as as other players, stars, role players, 3 and B wings, any category of players sit here and look on, that's something that all these guys are going to want to be a part of. And there's this aura around the purple and gold that's – it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be a Lakers fan. And for Anthony Davis to not only sign for, for the five years, of course, he has the player option on the fifth year, which is more or less standard on those types of deals, especially when you're talking about a guy who's not in restricted free agency but instead unrestricted free agency. People forget that Anthony Davis is just now entering his prime. This is a guy who, if he were in more playoff games – more people would be talking about him as an all-time performer. This is a guy who averages 30 and 10 in the postseason and is an unquestioned, unquestioned difference maker. And I'll say the same thing that I said it before we started last season, which is that, yes, there are rosters, and going back to last year's Lakers, there were rosters that might have had more depth or there were rosters that you thought could challenge the Lakers. But I sit here and said this, and I'll say the same thing going into this year. If you give me two stars... LeBron and AD, those are two unquestioned top five stars in the NBA. I will take that star pairing over any other that currently exists in the NBA. Is there any reason for us to change that opinion going into this year? No, not at all. I don't think so. Um, especially, you bring up the point about other lineups and depth and versatility. Um, yeah, that's one of the advantages that maybe the Clippers had over the Lakers because there was that bit of uncertainty at the beginning of last season whether how this lineup would work or if it would work. Um, and Trevor, you made a really good point in one of your podcasts the other day where you talk about how the Lakers might have killed small ball and they've already pre-zagged where the rest of the league has, has zigged. Uh, so, yeah, I think they've made those adjustments. Any other any other team that might have had a depth advantage over this Lakers team last season, that advantage is gone. This is the, this is the deepest team in the league this year. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And that's the one thing I think that – as much as we look at, okay, the big signings for some of the, the other franchises, we think, okay, a flashy, you know, Russell Westbrook for, for John Wall trade, and we're going to we're gonna all buzz about that. Or, uh, you know, Gordon Hayward, look at how much money he got. Or, okay, the Celtics, they added a piece in Tristan Thompson. The Lakers had the best offseason in the NBA. I mean, that's – and how ridiculous is that, that it's the NBA champions that put together the best offseason. They're not supposed to be able to get – a 27-year-old Dennis Schroeder who fits the timeline of Anthony Davis. They're not supposed to get a 26-year-old Montrez Harrell. You're not supposed to be able to add pieces like that when you're the defending champions and you're capped out and they're bringing in a former defensive player of the year in Marcus Gasol. And like you mentioned, they're shifting their strategy too on the fly. As soon as you've got all these teams loading up with bigs to be able to go up against the Lakers – and now suddenly the Lakers are going to have a very different lineup, a much more versatile lineup, and they're going to give Frank Vogel that many more weapons. Oh, this has been – look, for anybody who questioned Rob Palenka, that's gone now. There's no more questioning Rob Palenka. There's no more does he understand the salary cap or that or that whole narrative that was going around last year. This guy got it done because the Lakers had, again, I think, the best offseason in the NBA, and that's that's just – I mean, it's a great time to be a Lakers fan. That's all I can say. I think we thought that there were going to be a series of close calls this offseason that maybe 
Contavious Caldwell Pope might be going elsewhere, or maybe that Anthony Davis might keep us on the fence, or maybe this, or maybe that. Instead, the Lakers have been able to sort of blow it out of the water, as you alluded to. And while we're sitting here talking about ball handlers, we're sitting here talking about close calls, you know I'm going to have to bring up my favorite product, which is Manscaped, because they are here to take care of our listeners. Manscaped is here to sync the competition and deliver the best tools for your below-the-waist grooming experience, and this applies for everybody. The Lawnmower 3.0 is simply the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of the ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your snags will be reduced, and you'll be good to go. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant, which ensures that your afternoon stroll doesn't end with your balls getting caught on your leg. And if you're hitting the court every night, like we know these Lakers are, that is an imperative item to take care of. So it's a whole new ball game out here. And if you order now, you get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Just use the code HOOPBALL20. When things get hairy in the fourth quarter, make sure to call on Manscaped in clutch time. Maybe that can be LeBron or AD's new nickname, Manscaped. I don't think either one will go for that, but just throwing it out there for consumption. One thing I am curious about with AD and LeBron, and it has nothing to do with the on-court dynamic. Last year, if you recall, there was this switch that Anthony Davis was supposed to get the number 23 and LeBron was going to go back to his number six. Do we still think that's going to be in play for this upcoming season? No, you know what? It's so weird. I've been getting more than any other question right now. It's probably, well, probably 1A and 1B. I've been getting that question, and I've been getting people asking me, okay, are the Lakers going to sign, you know, Dwayne Dedman? Is that going to be the guy they go after for that last roster spot? But so many people have been asking about that. And if you look at uh, the City Edition or the Lore Series jerseys that just came out, that, uh, that that's what the Lakers call them, the Lore Series, uh, those just came out. And they still have LeBron as 23 and Anthony Davis as three. They were going to switch last year. And then Nike said, no, we've already printed too many LeBron James 23 jerseys. We're not switching now. Uh, but it looks like they're just going to stick with what they've got. And that's LeBron 23 and Anthony Davis being being three. I mean, they could pull a switcheroo, but, but they're already selling jerseys with those numbers on them. So I don't I don't see a change happening, at least this season. Yeah, I'm guessing one of two things happen, or maybe, maybe both uh, the short offseason um probably happen and then the fact that they won a championship with those numbers so they probably want to run that back i would imagine that's probably accurate and i want to look at this roster up and down because if you would have told me at the start of this or the start of the offseason that the lakers were going to trade a guy they've been trying to trade since they signed him and danny green and get off the 28th pick who the lakers weren't going to be able to play in the rotation anyway and doesn't really fit the timeline of this roster necessarily in a very watered down draft for the six men for for a six man of the year feel like perennial candidate but potential starter now in Dennis Schroeder I would have said okay I would have taken Wes Matthews outright over Danny Green after watching Danny Green run up and down the court like a Tyrannosaurus Rex last season and so for me to bring in Montrez Harrell to bring back Markeith Morris to bring back KCP Avery Bradley's a guy who I think could have you know continued to fit the construct of this roster it was sort of a bummer that he left for Miami at the same money but I understand because he's more guaranteed a role there especially with the emergence of Caruso I think the Marcus Saul signing for me was the most surprising I don't know that it was the most enjoyable but I will enjoy him on the roster i am also surprised by the fact that it is a straight two-year deal it is not a player option it is not a team option but a straight two-year deal at the veterans minimum and i think that's a perfect example of a guy the lakers would have had no access to if they didn't create this culture and obviously have the results that they did last year by winning 
uh, the NBA title. And so when you look at this Lakers roster up and down, it's it's really hard to find a hole at this point. The one sort of wonder I have is, I look, I, I love Jared Dudley. I think he's great for the locker room. I think he's great for the team. I think he's great for the culture. And most importantly, you know, for the fans, he's, he's wonderful for the fans. I like Taylor Horton Tucker a lot. I think he showed us in the bubble that he actually can play if he gets the chance, but he is still young. I look up and down at this roster and I say, you know, the wing looks like an area where the Lakers could use a little more help. But as you said, Trevor, you know, the ball handler and a big man as well. So I, I don't think it is a perfect roster by any stretch. I am curious to see what the plans are for Alfonso McKinney because at the time they made that trade, sending JaVale to Cleveland in that salary dump so they could facilitate the Marcus All move, we knew Jordan Bell was going to be waving the stretch from day one. We weren't sure about Alfonso McKinney, but then the Lakers introduced him, and it sure seems like he's here to stay. Do you see Alfonso McKinney and or Taylor Horton Tucker fulfilling any sort of role on the wing, or do you think the Lakers are ultimately going to outsource that? Yeah, so let's start with Alfonso McKinney there. Uh, yeah, they're, they're keeping him. He's going to be a Laker. And I think the, the sense was, okay, in order to make the math work on the on the Javelke uh, swap, in order to send out enough salary and, and do all of that, you had to guarantee a certain portion. One of them had to, one of Jordan Bell and McKinney had to get fully guaranteed. One was partial and Bell got partial and then and then waived. Um, so McKinney, they, they figured, look, we need six, eight wing defenders. And that's what McKinney is. Let's give him a shot. Let's see what we've got here. Maybe he turns into something useful. Maybe not. He obviously wasn't the crux of the deal, but you figure if you've got a guy with that skill set and his three-point shooting hasn't been great, but he's got at least the body type and potentially the skill set to be a three and D player. He's a pretty good slasher off the ball. So you might as well find out what you got there, right? I mean, that's a that's probably the most valuable skill set you can have in the NBA right now, aside from being a superstar, is being a 3 and D player. That's going to get you paid more than anything else, and that's something that NBA teams are clamoring for. Um, you look Jay Crowder, just got $10 million from, from Phoenix, right? So this is a guy uh, who I think at least fits that type of player. Will he hit a high enough level to contribute? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, though, oh, man. I'm excited about Dylan Horton Tucker. I am really excited about this kid because if you watched him in the G League last year, every single night he did something jaw-dropping where you just went, wow, that was the only guy on the floor who could have pulled off what he just did. He did incredible things, and he wasn't in shape. He was not in shape. That's why you saw such a huge difference physically in him between you know, January and when they went into the bubble in Orlando in July. He looked like a completely different person. And we always said he made a lot of mistakes in the G League, but that's what it's for, right? It's for refining your game. But Taylor Horton Tucker, I mean, what, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, he's got a se over seven-foot wingspan, can handle the ball, can pass, can shoot. His game still needs refinement, but the tools are there for him to be very, very good. And what's got re me really excited is I, uh, I interviewed Jared Dudley a few weeks ago, and Dudley told me the word he used was dominant. He said Taylor Horton Tucker was dominant in practices in the bubble in Orlando wow. and because of how good he was there. And that's going up against LeBron and AD, all these, all the veterans, right? He said, Taylor Horton Tucker was dominant and he thinks THT is getting 15 to 20 minutes a night next season. Now Dudley wow. is known for hyperbole, right? So maybe we take it <laughs> with a little bit of grain of salt, but he absolutely has Dudley's endorsement as a player that is going to be a factor this season. Excellent. JC, where do you stand? Where do you stand on THT and McKinney? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I don't know as much about Alfonso McKinney, uh, but seeing some of the highlights, he seems like a, a good defensive player there. I think his three-point shot is 
probably not as reliable as some, but yeah, I'm really excited about uh, the you know the advancement of, of THT's career. Le- LeBron is really excited about him. He talks about him a lot on social media. Um, any anytime I've seen like JaVale's YouTube channel and things like that, uh, all the Lakers really like being around THT. They like they like going fishing with him. They really like this kid, and so that you know they're not going to give that kind of attention to somebody who's just you know a scrub at the end of the bench who's not really going to contribute. LeBron jumped on Spectrum Sportsnet this week, and he was talking about how the Lakers brought in Dennis Schroeder, bringing in Wes Matthews, how Marc Gasol can return his Defensive Player of the Year trophy that Gasol still has at his house. He was talking about the upgrades with Trez and how this Lakers roster has been reborn. Absent from that conversation was Kyle Kuzma until last night. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When LeBron James decided to get in on one of Twitter's favorite exercises and quote tweet an NBA player who you think will take a giant leap this season. And LeBron identified... Kyle Kuzma is that player. Now, LeBron always speaks with a purpose. He never just says things to say things. And so I wonder if this was his way to sort of pump up the Kyle Kuzma machine because who knows what's going to happen with his upcoming contract his upcoming contract situation. And for me, I wonder, is this real or is this just sort of hype so Kuzma continues to buy into his role? Because for Kuzma, he said in the bubble that or he said about his play in the bubble that he wants to continue to be a commitment on the defensive end of the floor so i wonder if this is lebron's attempt at hype or if this is real and he expects that improvement uh no i when i saw that my initial reaction to lebron's tweet um was this is leadership this is what what leadership looks like this is lebron james stepping in and trying to turn the tide in favor of his teammate i mean look he did an interview the other day maybe it was on spectrum i don't remember but uh uh, he was listing off all the players who had left. And he said, you know, I, I want to make sure that I thank Quinn Cook and JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, all these. And Richard Jefferson was there. And he interjected Kyle Kuzma as a joke. Like he's on his way out the door. And LeBron was like, no, no, man, don't do not do Kyle Kuzma like that. And then, of course, he jumps on on Twitter last night. He throws out. He thinks he's going to be improving. Because, look, the Lakers see it. They see what's happened with Kyle Kuzma. They see when Kyle Kuzma, right after they won the championship a few days later, post to social media celebrating that they won a championship and talking about what a milestone this is in his life. And all of his comments are people saying, you didn't do anything, sit down. All of his comments are people telling him LeBron won that title. You just, you wrote his coattails. Like that's, that's the reaction. And that's why Kyle Kuzma shut down his Twitter account. He talked about that yesterday. He shut down his Twitter account because all he saw constantly was negativity. That's all he got thrown at him online on social media and so this is lebron stepping up and saying no this is a guy that i still believe in this is a guy i'm getting behind because of this for whatever reason this backlash that has been aimed at at kyle kuzma and so when i see what lebron did again i see i see leadership i see the face of the franchise stepping up and putting out some positive stuff about a guy who has been targeted this offseason and that's been I've been frustrating to see from the outside, and I'm sure it's been frustrating for the Lakers internally to see that as well. 
do you think that there is another level? And both this question is for both of you guys. Do you think that there is another level to Kyle Kuzma's game that is to be unlocked, or is Kyle Kuzma sort of is what he is? And I go back historically when people said in their in their first seasons together, "Oh, Kyle Kuzma is way better than Brandon Ingram." I don't know why you would talk about how Brandon Ingram is so good and Kyle Kuzma isn't. Now we know Brandon Ingram is infinitely infinitely blessed with more potential than Kyle Kuzma. He's also younger, and there's a reason he signed for 150-plus million, and Kyle Kuzma can't get a contract extension yet, especially on this Lakers squad. I just wonder if there is another level to Kyle Kuzma's game that I have not seen. I, I'm hopeful that his commitment to defense in the bubble will translate, but there's still a lot of Kyle Kuzma when he takes the ball down the floor, and it's sort of the D'Angelo Russell approach is what I like to call it, is what's the best play for Kyle Kuzma, what's not the best play for the team. It seems like he's, he still makes his offensive decisions before he actually reads the floor, and I'm hopeful that's something LeBron, AD, and the, and the rest of the leaders can really help him with on this team because if he can be a star in his role he will get paid no matter what but he has to commit to that so is there another level to Kyle Kuzma that we can see that we have not seen yet I think there is I've I've been excited for him ever since his first uh, summer league like that summer while everyone was excited about Lonzo I watched those games I was the most excited about Kuzma Uh, when Anthony Davis was traded from New Orleans and I saw that the Lakers got to keep Kyle Kuzma that's what I was most excited about um his commitment to defense last year, his, the way he improved his rebounding, things like that, um, I, that got me excited. So, like, every every level of his career, there's been something that I've been excited about with Kyle Kuzma. I, I mean, there have been times he's been disappointing. He's never been so disappointing to the, to the fact that he deserves the treatment that he gets on social media. But social media is just a weird cesspool that full of negativity that people should kind of stay away from, or players should stay away from sometimes. Uh, yeah, I've been excited about him. I think uh, I think I talked about a couple episodes ago what, what you're not going to see from Kyle Kuzma this year, but you shouldn't, is you shouldn't see him play any more minutes at the four. You should see him play mostly at the three. He's also uh, you know skinny enough and lengthy enough, although he's a little tall, he can be a really tall two. And so I think he's going to improve this year because I think the, those minutes at the four last year, he's not really a power forward even though he's 6'10". So I think... The two, the three, maybe some little bit of minutes at two is where he's going to excel. Yeah, I think that uh, that out of necessity, you're going to see him a lot more at the three. Rob Palenka has already talked about using him a bit more as a wing defender this year because they lost Danny Green. Uh, and if you look, he's getting squeezed out at the power forward spot, right? Yeah. They brought back Markeith Morris. You already have Anthony Davis, who's going to get plenty of minutes. And then you bring in Montrez Harrell who you can argue the four might actually be his best position, particularly if the opponent has a true big in there. You can't ask him to go to defend a Nikola Jokic. We saw that doesn't work out very well. So I think Kuzma is going to have to eat up some of those minutes at the three. Uh, As far as whether or not he can take his game to another level, yes, but we also have to be clear on what that looks like. That doesn't mean that suddenly Kyle Kuzma is pulling out all these different tricks that we didn't see him doing before. That doesn't mean that Kyle Kuzma is suddenly a pass-first point guard style running the offense or something like that. I'm not expecting that kind of growth. Like I don't think we're going to uncover these new skills for Kyle Kuzma. He is what he is in the in the sense that he's a, a versatile wing. He can shoot from the outside. He's a decent perimeter defender. needs to get better defending on the inside. Uh, but he's also an incredibly hard worker. And all he needs is just some organic growth across the board. Shoot a little better from three, continue to improve on defense, get a little better rebounding, reading the floor on the offensive end. And that's something that is not out of the question. 
for a guy who's 25, 26 years old to continue to grow and develop. He is exactly what a lot of NBA teams are looking for right now on the wing. His skill set is the modern NBA wing player. And so if he can just get a little bit more efficient across the board, he suddenly becomes a much more valuable piece for the Lakers and a valuable piece around the NBA. And I'll say this, the one thing that's got me most excited, everybody harps on Kyle Kuzma's three-point percentage, right? Thirty Low 30% from, uh-huh. from three this season. And people say he needs to shoot better than that. Yes, he does. He shot 25% above the break from three. He shot 52% on corner threes this last season. Mm. 52%. That's ridiculously good. Now, it's a small sample size. He only took about 65 of them. So is he really that good? Probably not. But the bottom line is that's a very makeable shot for him. And so if you can kind of rein that in a little bit, fix his shot selection, like you mentioned, Ethan, if you can do that, then you can get a much more effective Kyle Kuzma. There's a lot of people are down on him and say, no, this is just what he is now. No, there's a there's a very clear path to success next season for Kyle Kuzma with some moderate improvements and a little bit more intelligent play or shot selection on the offensive end of the floor. So I'm still high on Kyle Kuzma as well. Yeah, and I think defensively, I think you'll see him play a big piece because um, you know we talked about earlier the, the lack of shot blocking, but I think the way in which this team is going to evolve defensively, I think you're going to see it look really similar to uh, LeBron's Miami years in that they didn't they didn't have a big shot-blocking big on those teams, but those teams played passing lanes, those teams rotated. Uh, if they got a steal, they were booking. And so I think you're going to see you know Kyle Kuzma excel in that kind of role, especially if he can, on a fast break, uh, drift out to, to baseline three. Let me ask you guys this question. Kyle Kuzma comes to the Lakers front office, Rob Palenka smoking the cigar as the godfather would after such a successful offseason. Pretty good for a guy who doesn't know the salary cap, by the way. And he <laughs> says, Rob, I'm, I'm willing to sign an extension with the Lakers that mirrors Marcus Morris's deal with the Clippers. Four years, $64 million. Are you signing Kyle Kuzma to that contract? Uh, no, I think that's a, that's a little bit much. I'm not, I would, I would look, I look at that contract. The Clippers gave out as a mistake. I think that was, that was too much. That's an overpay for Marcus Morris because he had them. He had them where he, where he wanted them. I mean, there was, they couldn't replace him if he left. And so he had all of the leverage. They had already given up a first round pick. They'd already given up Mo Harkless, the second round pick in order to get Marcus Morris. They couldn't just let him walk away after half of a season of him. So I would look more at the other wings in the NBA. I think Marcus Morris is the is the high end of it. I'm looking more at the guys like uh, like a Jay Crowder uh, with the Phoenix Suns. There were a few others that are escaping me right now that all fell right around that like 10 to 12 million a year range. Something like that, particularly knowing that Kyle Kuzma, he's probably not a 30 minute a night guy given the, the makeup of the Lakers roster right now. If you could come to an agreement somewhere around there, say starting at about 12 million, I'd be a lot more comfortable with that contract. Just because in a pinch, if things don't work out, I think that's a bit more movable. Um, if it's a, a four-year, $64 million deal, I'm more willing to risk letting him hit restricted free agency next offseason and then matching because I think that's more of a ceiling offer for him. JC, what is, what's your take on Kuzma? Yeah, I agree. It's you know $4 million doesn't sound like a lot of money in terms of like NBA salary caps, but it does mean a lot as far as... You know, that $4 million could be an extra piece that could fit in a little bit better. So, yeah, 16 per is probably a little high for somebody who's not going to play quite as many minutes. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd see what other teams 
uh, offer and restricted free agency to kind of see his true value league-wise, not just Laker-wise. Some of the early chatter that I've been hearing and observing is that Kyle Kuzma might view himself as close to a $20 million a year player. And if that's going to be the case for this Lakers team, he's going to have to truly be a star in his role, as we sort of alluded to. And now that we we know Kuzma's going to play a I don't know if significant is the most appropriate word, but he's going to play a sizable role for this Lakers team, especially given the increased emphasis on the wing. And I do think he'll have more opportunities to sort of be that corner three assassin, as Trevor alluded to, with the improved spacing in certain lineups. But I do want to talk about spacing for just a moment because Marcus Gasol is somebody who can space the floor. Montrez Harrell is somebody who cannot space the floor. As the Lakers have built out their depth throughout the offseason, the starting lineup conversation, and we, we alluded to this earlier, if Schroeder is going to get his wish as the starting point guard, has been coming into focus. I do expect the Lakers to experiment quite a bit, especially as practices kick off and training camp or winter camp or whatever you want to call it sort of gets underway. Ultimately, when the dust settles, what is the best five-man combination for this Lakers team to start with? Um, in terms of starting five, I think that I think there's going to be issues if Dennis Schroeder isn't a starter. I think he's made it very, very clear that that was an expectation for him coming in, uh, and it makes a lot of sense for him. He wants starter money next offseason when he's a free agent. He doesn't want to be seen as a bench player anymore. Um, but and and talent wise, I'm not going to argue that. Talent wise, I think he has the talent to be a starting point guard in the NBA. I don't think there's any question there. So I'm probably starting him. Uh, Wesley Matthews has talked about being a starter, but Kentavious Caldwell Pope just got paid starter money. So I'm probably starting KCP at the two and trusting that Wesley Matthews as a as a veteran would understand. Um, and then, of course, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and then Marcus Gasol is, is my starting center. Uh, but I think it's for the Lakers, it really comes down to who's closing out lineups, who really gets things. That's the more important thing. But in the NBA, you know, there is a certain status symbol that comes with starting still. And, uh, and so that's the, the, the I understand why guys want to be in the starting lineup. And that's probably the five that I'm rolling with to begin the season. That uh, Schroeder, KCP, LeBron, AD and Gasol. Yeah, that's, yeah uh, that, seems, that seems like the most obvious five to start. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I envisioned a lineup, especially with Marcus Gasol and his his versatility in passing. Um, you know, assuming that Schroeder would have been OK with coming off the bench, I you know him. Him wanting to start is reasonable because the choices at that spot really are Schroeder or Alex Caruso, and so I did envision a lineup, uh, a starting lineup, defensive oriented of KCP, Caruso, AD, LeBron, and Marcus Sewell with with LeBron being the point guard because Caruso is not going to be a true point guard. Uh, but you know, and we've seen Caruso can slash, and and LeBron and Marcus Sewell can pass. And so, yeah, I was envisioning seeing plenty of offense out of the three, uh, AD, LeBron, Marcus Sewell. Um, then you've got three-point shooting from KCP, and then you've got slashing from Caruso, and then that's a defensive lineup that's, I mean, how do you how do you score on that lineup? Um, but Schroeder wanting to start, yeah, it, it's reasonable, just because, you know, he's, he's one of two options in that one spot. Um, yeah, I am concerned a little bit about the, the fit, Chemistry-wise, if he wants to be a primary ball handler, that's going to kind of undo all the progress that LeBron made uh, leading the league in assists last year. Don't quite know how that's going to work out because I really liked how, like the end result of LeBron being a point guard for the first time in his career. And so, yeah, I think it remains to be seen how well and efficient that's going to be. Hopefully, Schroeder, I think, is smart enough to understand that 
if he can be the the point guard of the second unit, he'll have free reign to run with Trez, Kuzma, Wesley Matthews, Markeith Morris, and you've still got THT off, you know, as an option there. So yeah, I think I think it could work. I think it'll be fine. I think this team will figure out a way to make it work. But I mean, yeah, there's probably a little bit of cost for concern there. I'm inclined to agree with Trevor's first five. I do think that makes at least the most sense on paper going in. But I do think that's a a fair point about the closing lineup, and we'll get there in just a second. Because right now, with all these moving parts in the NBA season right upon us once again, your head is probably spinning. It's not just the Lakers roster. It's talent moving all across the NBA. And it is a huge time for us here at HoopBall because it is time. It is officially time because all of our 2020-21 NBA season products are finally for sale. Stick with us because there's a lot to go over, but we almost never push these products, and this is our window. So here's how we're going to power that engine. We've got the draft guide. This is our flagship, our shining beacon, the most comprehensive draft guide in all of fantasy. Our guys went 400 players deep again this year. A future access pass to the Brewski 150 is also out. And if you don't know about the Brewski 150, it is the winning draft guide year over year in this industry. So you need to know it now. It is the fantasy draft list that has beaten every other list for 10 straight years. That's a full decade, ladies and gentlemen. And new for this year, Hoopball is unveiling our monthly membership plans. I'll keep it as short as I can. We have the Fantasy Pass, which includes the Draft Guide, the Brewski 150, and the also-new DFS Pass and all of our in-season premium tools. The DFS Pass is also available on its own if that's your sort of thing. And we have the brand-new Wager Pass for our sports bettors who want picks and analysis. And we even have the Hoop Ball 360. That sucker has all of the stuff above, plus even earlier access to the Brewski 150. So head on over to hoop-ball.com or follow at HoopBallFantasy on Twitter now to learn more and get yours. And while we're sitting here talking about Twitter, I would be remiss if I did not mention you can follow Trevor Lane for all of his good content on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane. You can follow JC DeLeon on Twitter at JC DeLeon1. And you can follow myself at Ethan underscore Noroff. Only one F. I know it sounds like two with that off, but it is e- easier to pronounce than Novogratzke, which is what it used to be. Thank you, Ellis Island, for that shortening. So now I go back to these Lakers lineups. We talked about the starters, but Trevor, I think you made a great point about the closing lineup. And all I'll say before I ask you who are your five to close the game is simply this. I'm not sure Trez can be part of that closing lineup, but I'm almost positive that Alex Caruso has to be. Yeah, I think that he does. But whenever I look at the closing lineup, you know, we spent a lot of time last offseason talking about, okay, who's what's the Lakers death lineup, right? That's what we call it. Uh, going back to the Warriors uh, when their death lineup. But we look at, all right, Kyle Kuzma, is he going to be part of it? Is is it going to be JaVale? Is it going to be Dwight Howard? We spent all this time agonizing over it. Who should really close out games? Frank Vogel mixed and matched. He didn't, he didn't set a, okay, these are my five closers, and that's what we're going to roll with. No, he went with the hot hand. He went with the advantageous matchup. And, that's, and I expect to see more of the same because the Lakers just had success doing that. Frank Vogel proved that roster versatility is a major factor and was a major factor for the Lakers in winning a championship. They started they started Alex Caruso in game six when he barely started at all, all season. Markeith Morris goes in in the second round, a guy they picked up on the buyout market, and becomes a starter because that was the advantageous matchup. I think that's what we're going to continue to see. So, I mean, I guess it's kind of a, a non-answer, I suppose, but I don't think there is going to be a set five-man 
closing lineup. We can we can assume LeBron James and Anthony Davis will be part of it. Aside from that, the other three guys, I think it's really going to come down to what the matchup is and who's playing well on that particular night because Frank Vogel has proven now that he likes to mix things up and, and roll with whatever's working in the moment. Yeah, I 100% agree because, yeah, the, we cannot talk enough about how deep and versatile this lineup is. And, yeah, I think night to night, the closing lineup is you're going to be – you have a plethora of options to choose, like who's the hot hand, who's played good defense tonight, who's a good matchup. Uh, yeah, there's tons of, place, tons of places you can go to close out lineups. I think it's important, too, that the starting lineup sets a tone, which is kind of why I started – why I wanted Caruso to start because I for every game the Lakers to set the tone defensively, they would have been able to do that with the backcourt of KCP and Caruso. Uh, may not necessarily be able to do that with Schroeder and KCP, but um, yeah, I think the closing lineup will be whatever fits night to night, and that's going to make it a really it's going to make it really hard to scout against. It's going to make it really hard to predict, uh, and that's only going to serve them better. I'm wondering if either of you feel that there is a potential role for Costas Antetokounmpo on this roster on his two-way deal, or is this just a, a sort of a scratch ticket to keep your name in the in the Giannis Derby? No, I think that he's got merit on his own as a player. It's not just you know, hey, his last name means that he gets a roster spot. He's still a, a, a you know, he's got the the length, the wingspan, the ability to affect the the uh, the game inside. So he's an interesting prospect, an interesting guy to bring in. I do think we're going to see those guys more, Devontae Kaycock and Costa Antetokounmpo, more than we did last season because now you've got a 72-game season in a condensed schedule, more games and less time. I think that means you're going to have to rest players more often, which means you're going to have to probably turn to these G League guys, the two-way contracts, a little bit more often. Um, so I think he's interesting, and I do think – that the the notion that's out there that he's only a Laker because of who his brother is and they want to bring in Giannis eventually, I don't think that's correct. I think that he has plenty of merit on his own as a player. He's got talent. Is he a guy you're going to see come in and play 20 minutes a night, even 10 minutes a night? No, that's that's not what he is. That's not the spot in his career that he's at right now. But I do think he will make some appearances this season. I'm glad you brought up Devontae Kaycock because I wanted to mention him before before we close this out. You talked about how the Lakers might need another rim protector. Uh, Devontae Kaycock is listed at six foot eight. Can he be that guy, or is he too small for that position? He's more of a rebounder. Uh, he he can protect the rim a little bit, but he's his thing is rebounding, not so much shot blocking. And the size is a little bit of an issue there. But he was you know first team All G League last season, so this is a very talented player, a guy who can make an impact. But I almost look at him as kind of they're not the same, but a similar skill set in a way to Montrez Harrell. Energy big, does the dirty work on the glass. So I don't know how many minutes we see him. If somehow he adds a little bit more rim protection to his game, then maybe he does become a factor in this in this conversation. He certainly showed up extremely well in the G League last season. But for right now, I'm going to temper expectations on him and assume that they probably need somebody else if they want a consistent rim protector in there because I just don't quite think that he's got the size. JC, where are you at on that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm not as familiar enough with with his game to see the potential of growth for shot blocking potential. It seems this seems to be a little bit more shot blocking potential with Costas than than Kaycock. But yeah, I think if if they're in a position to where they can keep that last roster spot open and sort of find a rim protector in one of those two players, yeah, I think that'll that'll serve the team better. 
Dwayne Dedman is a name that you brought up, Trevor, and I know, I know that's been a hot question on Twitter. I, I feel like at one point I described Dedman as the backup to the backup plan, and I think he's a guy who could, in theory, be a rim protector, in theory, space the floor. But I always look at some of these names that are often available in free agency or, or even on rosters, and I say the idea of the player is better than the player. Like there was some clamor for the Lakers to sign Jeff Green earlier this offseason. And I said, the idea of Jeff Green has been better than Jeff Green for several years now. Is that sort of still uh, also applicable to Deadman in your opinion? Yeah, but it's just, it's the skill set. I want Frank Vogel to have as many arrows in his quiver, as many tools in his toolbox, whatever analogy you want to use, uh, to turn to. Right. So I, I want Frank Vogel to be able to say, man, if I, I really need a guy who can play alongside Anthony Davis to be a shot blocking big Dwayne Dedman. Right. He's got that skill set. I want to be able to turn to that or, you know, I want a little bit more quickness out on the floor. Montrez Harrell, I'm going with that that route. I want Frank Vogel to be able to uh, have access to as many different skill sets as possible. And obviously there's you're going to have a limit on a basketball team, but as many as possible, because he's shown the ability to mix and match players and skill sets so much and, and adapt two situations to find advantages. So that's more where I'm looking at that. They don't have a true rim protecting big right now. And even if they signed one, I mean, the 14th man on the roster, is he really playing a ton? Probably not. But just to have that skill set available so it's an option, because if you don't have that, then it's not. And you have to find other workarounds. JC? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. Deadman is an interesting choice, sort of replicating... A little bit uh, what JaVale could do, but yeah, you're not going to get a ton of product, product that productivity out of that 14th spot. So yeah, it's hard to remain. I think they're also in a position keeping that spot open. You know, God forbid injuries, things like that. Um, then you can pick up somebody to fill up those spots or the buyout market. I, I keep saying I think I think Trevor Reese is going to be somebody who's available in the buyout market soon because he's been traded so much. I think he could be an interesting veteran piece. Uh, to kind of, you know, bring some defensive philosophy to the younger guys. Uh, players like that, I think, will be available down the road. As the Lakers move forward, you know, and, and Trevor, before we even talk about that, arrows on the quiver, that is something I'm definitely going to add to my toolbox. <laughs> I like that one quite a bit. You know, we, we've been talking about roses of the Lakers offseason. One of the social-emotional exercises I like to do with my students is roses and thorns, where rose would be something good and thorn would be something not as good that's been impacting your week, your day, your month, et cetera, et cetera. So we've, we've pecked off a lot of roses here, and you look up and down this Lakers roster, and you obviously can see that there have been substantial upgrades to the names on paper. Do you see any thorns on this Lakers roster, anywhere where the Lakers have downgraded either by positional group or specific roster spot or is this just a straight upgrade a plus all money cash offseason for mr rob palenka i mean i think the the only potential negative is is the massive departure that you're having in terms of play style from this season to last season you look at the, the players that they brought in it's going to be a very different look in terms of having a, a dennis Schroeder, having a you know marcus Saul instead of having a pair of three and D guards starting for you, assuming Schroeder starts, but maybe he doesn't. Um, and then having not the the athletic rim protecting big in Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, instead going with the floor spacer in Marcus All. So I think if there is a, a thorn, so to speak, it's just the transition in play style and trying to adapt on the fly that that you could argue that maybe did they bite off more than they can chew? Should they have kept so kept more of the roster the same in order to have that continuity? That's the one thing that maybe could trip them up a little bit, but 
I mean, Rob Palenka came into the offseason talking about how he wanted to take advantage of opportunities, that complacency can kill a, can kill a dynasty, can kill a franchise. Um, he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to come in complacent. And he was true to, true to his word. He was aggressive. He saw opportunities to improve. And he's going to trust in the coaching staff and trust in the players to figure it out from there because I think they have definitely upgraded talent-wise. JC, any thorns for you? Um, no, just, I mean, yeah, the lack of shot blocking and things like that. Um, <clears throat> I used the line a couple episodes ago how this is a big chemistry set, all these pieces, new pieces, and that increases the, you know, the potential for, you know, combustion. And chemistry, I think, is an important thing with this team. Um, you know, there's there's potential for a little bit of a chemistry disruption if, if Schroeder isn't happy coming off the bench, if that's what he ends up doing, or if he starts and it's not exactly working out the way people envisioned it would, that's could be the start, of, you know, that could be the start of a spark that leads to some kind of combustion or an explosion. That's one area of concern, you know, you have with all these many pieces, you know, are there one too many square pegs and round holes? And, and you've just got to try to figure out how to mold it and make it work. I'm inclined to agree that that's my only potential thorn is the departure from what we saw last season in terms of style of play to a radical shift this year. But the talent has improved up and down the roster. You've retained key pieces in KCP and Markeith Morris. Markeith Morris, one of the best buyout signings ever, by the way. And, of course, extending both Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And while we've been taping this podcast, not only did we get uh, we talk about the city jerseys, but how about those classic jerseys that the Lakers to be in those those deep blue jerseys this year. I know that's going to be popular amongst the fan base. And once again, we see LeBron with 23 and Anthony Davis with number three. So I don't think those numbers are going to be changing. Anyone who bought a jersey last season, don't worry. It's not history quite yet. It's still very much part of the present. Before we get out of here and wrap this up, I'm going to ask you each the same question, which is the most surprising Laker this season. And you can define surprising however you'd like but the most surprising Laker this season will be, and it cannot be LeBron James or Anthony Davis. Anyone else on the roster is fair game, but the most surprising Laker on the roster this season will be. Trevor, we'll start with you first. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna defer here to what Jared Dudley was saying. I'm going to go with Taylor Horton Tucker. I think he's going to turn some heads. I think he's going to get some recognition around the NBA finally. I know Lakers fans are already high on him, but some uh, some people around the NBA are going to start to notice Taylor Horton Tucker because he's going to get some opportunities. J.C.? Um, I feel like even though he played really well in the bubble and sort of people seem to be sort of aware of him now, I think he's going to continue to improve and surprise. And, uh, you know, I think there's, you're going to see a newfound level of respect and appreciation nationwide, not just Laker nationwide for, uh, our guy, Alex Caruso. I think, uh, I think he takes another step up this year and, uh, continues to defy expectations and hopefully he's a, he's a lifelong Laker. Whether you call him the AC unit or the substitute science teacher, he is a dog on the court. And for me, I'm going to go ahead and say the most surprising Laker will be Mark Gasol. I think there will be a lot of Lakers fans and a lot of basketball fans who may not have watched a lot of Raptors games in recent years and say, you know what, Mark Gasol can actually still play. I think there's going to be a lot of high-low action, a lot of passing out of the elbow. And I think the Lakers are going to have a nice offensive wrinkle that they simply didn't last season, as we talked about prior. And there's a lot of reasons to be excited. And if Taylor Horton Tucker does take that giant step forward and Jared Dudley is right and Trevor is right on the money, I know my mosaic rookie cards will be going up in value as well. So everybody wins on that one. 
on the Hoopball Lakers podcast. You can follow us at Hoopball Lakers on Twitter. A big, big, big thank you and shout out to my man Trevor Lane for joining us today at Trevor Lane on Twitter. Lakers Nation, you know him. If you're a Lakers fan and you don't know him, you should be embarrassed, but you know him now after listening to the Hoopball Lakers podcast. Of course, you can follow JC on Twitter at JCDeLeon1. You can follow myself on Twitter as well at Ethan underscore Noroff. Trevor, thank you for your time. We appreciate you. No problem, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. My pleasure. Our pleasure. And until next time, Laker Nation, we out. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.